0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. It is always um, one of my, my favorite times to have our students here with our, with our worship team um, leading together. It's always fun for me when, when our children are here among us. Um, And so I want to ask you today as we, as we go to God's word, that if your child has a question about something we're saying, I want to ask you, don't just shush them. You can turn and whisper to them. It's okay. All right. I want to ask you to help them learn to be in here with us today. And you, you know what else? Question they might ask you. You might learn something. So let's embrace that together. Um, here is the body of Christ this morning, um, and then I want to I just remind you that we are in a series uh, called The Uniqueness of Jesus and His Story. And what that means is Jesus is different, His story is different, and we're glad it's different because that's good for us, okay? And so uh, today, I, I do want to ask you this question, though, and that is, do you ever notice that in a good movie or in a good book? Things might be going well. Things kind of come to this point, and it's often called the climax of the plot, where all of a sudden, kids, you with me? All of a sudden, something goes wrong. You ever seen that in a book or a movie, where all of a sudden there's this problem, and we want to see it solved, right? Well, I feel that way all the time in life. (laughs) I look around, and I'm like, there's this problem, and it's building, and I want to see it solved, You know why that is? You know why you feel that way? Why we like those types of stories? Now, lately, there's been some movies that have come out that that never happens, and it leaves you feeling just icky. That's how I say it. All right. But you know why we want to see those things happen? Because we're created in God's image. And when we see something broken and messed up, we don't like that. Right? And often in our lives, we look around and we're like, wow, things don't look too good right now. You know, that happens to Jesus very shortly after what we're talking about here on Palm Sunday. That happens. But before we get to that, I'm going to go to there in just a minute. I want to just remind you of the scene of what's going on here on Palm Sunday. Okay, we read it in our call to worship, but let me just tell you again a little bit of what's going on. The people, Jesus is coming into town on a donkey. That's kind of different and unique, right? He's supposed to be a king and he's coming into town on a donkey, all right? As he's coming into town on a donkey, the reason he's doing that is Zechariah 9.9 9 in the Old Testament was a prophecy that that's what the Messiah would do. And so he's coming in on this donkey and the people, realize, they, they look and they're like, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. And they begin to worship him and that's why they're shouting out Hosanna. This is they're rejoicing and they're saying also save us, deliver us. And so they laid their coats on the road And that was a symbol of saying, you're our authority. You, Jesus, you're our authority. And then they said, you're the one we want to reign in our lives. And they show him honor by spreading the palm branches down before him. In Revelation, it tells us these palm branches were were a symbol of joy. So again, they're saying, you're our deliverer. You're our source of joy. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord, Hosanna, save us now, save us now, deliver us. But, there's a lot of those in the Bible, aren't there? But, they wanted Jesus to help them in a way that Jesus hadn't come to help them. They did not understand what Jesus had come to do. What they want. They wanted Jesus to free them from the Romans. The Romans weren't supposed to be there. This was their land and the Romans had occupied it and they were in charge and they wanted Jesus to free them from the Romans. They wanted Jesus to give them back their own land. They wanted Jesus to help them with what they thought they needed in their lives. Is that much different from us today? Not really. Often... We want Jesus simply because we want to be delivered from the troubles that we face on this earth. Or we want Jesus because we want Him to solve our political problems. Or we want Jesus because we want Him to rescue us from our circumstances or or just take circumstances away, the things that cause our fear and worries. But Jesus' story is unique. It doesn't always go like we want it to, but I want you to see today the special part of, of who Jesus is and what he came to do, because that is good for everyone in this room, every man, woman, every boy and girl. So let's move forward with the story a little. Palm Sunday's over, and then a few days later, things turn really quickly. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Now, a lot of times we think of Judas, and he's like, we're like, yeah, he's the betrayer. He was one of the 12, he's the betrayer. Do you understand that, that if you were there and you were watching Jesus and his 12 disciples, what you have, would have said before this happened was, Judas is one of Jesus' closest friends. He's one of Jesus' buds. He's there all the time. He's like a brother to Jesus. That's who betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed him. And Jesus is arrested after dark. Now, there was a law that said that if a person was apprehended after sunset, there could be no trial or judgment given until daybreak the next day. And so while Jesus was in custody all night long, we see that Jesus was being treated horribly. That's what we see happening in Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 65. And this is right before the passage we're really going to dig into. But let me read chapter um, 22, verse 63 to 65. Now, this is the night after he's been arrested and before of the morning. It says, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. They were beating him. They were mocking him. They were making fun of him. Why were they doing that? Well, what Jesus had been claiming to be was a teacher, a rabbi. I mean, that's, that's what they were calling him. But as he came into town, the people looked and said, he's the Savior. He's the Messiah. In their minds, they thought that means he's, he's the king coming to deliver the people. And so the soldiers now are like, or the people holding him now are like, yeah, okay, that's a joke. You thought you were this great person. If that's who you really are, prophesy. There was so much meanness and hatred going on that night. And then we come to our passage uh, this morning, Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71, And I remind you that as we're in this, things don't look good. That's actually our first point of the sermon. Um, They're very simple today. Things don't look good, okay? And here's the passage. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Now, when I read that passage, I don't know about y'all, but when I read that, when I first read it, it sounds like a riddle, right? And they're just kind of going back and forth. I'm like, what is going on here? Um, but, but it really isn't. Um, let, me, let me show you what's happening here. Verse 66, we see this deceitful scheming going on, all right? It says, when day came again, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. You see, all that stuff that had been going on the night before, the arrest, um, all the beginning, the, trying to begin the proceedings, every, everything that had been happening, it had to be formalized. And they had to at least pretend that they were doing all the things that were necessary um, to, to get rid of Jesus. And so when they come to this, they're, they're not really investigating Jesus with a process of faith. Or, or let me say it differently, this is a false questioning of Jesus. They're not really asking Jesus these questions. They don't really want to know the answer that Jesus has to give them. And so they come to this, and there's several things wrong with it from a Jewish law or Jewish custom. All right, I'm only give, there's, there's really like eight, but I'm going to give you about four of them, okay? One, I already told you, he was arrested at night. That wasn't okay. That wasn't part of the process of the trial. Two, they used a traitor to identify Jesus. They used Judas, one of his closest. That wasn't allowed in the Jewish law and custom. It wasn't perceived as a, or or, um, received as a valid testimony. They had a very fast one-day trial. Usually the trials were about three days or longer. They had a one-day trial. Pretty quick. And then, this is the kicker to it all, no formal charge was ever made. Now, you got to go to Matthew 26, which also tells this story to understand um, how significant that was. Because here's what it says in Matthew 26, verses 59 through 60. It says that no formal charge was made because they found no reason to accuse him, even though many false witnesses came forward to try to accuse him. Many false witnesses came forward, but they could find no formal charge against him. They tried all these things. All sorts of things, all sorts of scheming. And finally, because they couldn't find a valid reason, a formal charge to make, someone came up with the idea to try to set Jesus up. They tried to get him to condemn himself with his own words. They tried to get him, said differently, to get himself in trouble with his own words. Now, all of us have had that experience of getting ourselves into trouble with our own words, uh, but this is Jesus. He doesn't make mistakes with what he says. That's what, all, that's what leads us to the question in verse 67. If you were the Christ, tell us. See, even without the accusers, they were out to get Jesus. Nothing was going right. Things seemed out of control, right? If you look at this, everything's going downhill fast. Things didn't look good. Everything was headed in the wrong direction. And we're going to continue with our story in just a minute, but I want to pause for a minute and just ask you, do you ever think things in your life are going, I'll say it this way, do you ever think things in your life are not looking good? Anyone ever thought that? Different moments. Nothing seems to be going right. Things seem to be out of your control at least. For Jesus, in this situation, as we look at it, things seem that way. But, it's our second point, things are right where they need to be. Things are right where they need to be, and there's three reasons I think things are right where they need to be. First, you know, Jesus knows their hearts. He knows the heart of the, the hearts of this council. We've seen it throughout the series. Um, it's one of the one of the things that makes Jesus in this story so unique, right? Is that, well, well let me say this, kids. Uh, have you ever thought? Wow, how did my parents know what I was thinking right then? You know how they know? There's a couple reasons. One, you came from them and they're a lot like you and a lot of the things you think and you do, you, you know, they, they did already. All right? A lot of those things. So they understand. Another reason is because they're raising you. They're watching you every day. They've seen you as a little kid and so they see those things in you. Well, It's kind of like that with what we're talking about with Jesus, but but it's more than that because Jesus is unique. Jesus is fully man, yes, but Jesus is also fully God. And so we've seen throughout this series that that he genuinely, fully knows what they're thinking. And so in some ways, it's kind of an unfair advantage that Jesus has here, but but Jesus knows, right? He knows what they're thinking. He knows their hearts. He knows that they want to get him to Pilate to be crucified. So instead of responding directly, he says, if I tell you, you will not believe me, verse 67. And then verse 68, if I ask you, you will not answer. What's he saying with that? Jesus is pointing out to them, he's calling them out here. And he's telling them, you might be asking questions. You might be pretending to want the answers, but you don't really have any interest in me at all. You don't really care how I answer that question. It's a questioning that wants to prove Jesus wrong. Not to get to know him. Not to understand who he is. It's not real. It's not genuine. But what about us? You know that questioning Jesus, these types of questions are alive and well today. Today. And yes, they're alive and well in the non-Christian world, which I'll talk about in a minute, but they're alive and well in our hearts too, right? Let, let Let me tell you what I mean by that. Questioning things like, do I really need Jesus? Now, most of you in this room aren't gonna ask that question verbatim. Most of us, let me use that word phrase instead. Most of us aren't gonna ask that question verbatim, but how many things, when something is not right, how many things do we go to first before we go to Jesus? And what we're really saying in that is, do I really need Jesus right now? Is he really who I need in this moment? Eh, I'll try this other stuff first. We're not really saying it out loud, but that's what our actions show. Is he really... The only way. Kids, you are going to hear again and again, students, again and again as you continue to grow. You are going to hear again and again, well, Jesus, Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus might be a way. Um, there are lots of ways to God. And, and whatever works for you, however you find your peace, however you find your ha- happiness, you're going to hear those things. And you're going to hear that it's okay to pursue whatever of those things makes you happy. Here's the problem. That's not true according to Jesus. Jesus is the sole sacrifice, the only one who is faithful to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us, to walk with us day by day. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, not a way, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Second reason things are right where they need to be is because Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. Look at verse 69. He says, but from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. This was Jesus' favorite way to talk about himself, the, his favorite title. I said this a couple of weeks ago. John said it uh, last week, and if you remember, this is he's referring back to Daniel seven thirteen, and in Daniel seven, there's a prophecy that one called the Son of Man will come, and he will save his people. And so he says this, and the Pharisees that are there, the scribes that are there, those who are there who are on this council. Those in all of Israel, they're all looking for this Messiah, this Savior, the one called the Son of Man. All of them. And Jesus is saying, I am he. I am him. That, that's who I am. I am the eternal God who knew the helplessness of people on this earth. I'm the one who took on human flesh Through the virgin birth, I am the one who is is the son of man that will fulfill the prophecy of Daniel and I will save these people. And Jesus is saying to them with this declaration, and you don't recognize it. You don't get it. And they knew what he was claiming. This council understood what he was saying. They knew the reference. And so in verse 70, they respond are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Now that sounds to us when we read it like it's Jesus trying to kind of skirt the question. It's really not. In the the original language, Jesus is saying, yep. That's right. That's who I am. Verse 71, they thought they had won. They thought right there, we got him. They say, see, he said it with his own words. What further testimony do we need? Their scheme had worked, at least in their minds. But things are right where they need to be because Jesus came, third reason, to strengthen and save, to save and strengthen his people. A few chapters earlier, in Luke 18, verse 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, as he's talking to his disciples there, he, go, he lay, lays out the whole thing that's about to happen from, good, from um, Palm Sunday through his death and resurrection. And he walks through these events and then he says, but the Son of Man after three days will rise again, right? Even at that point, the disciples still didn't fully get it. And he, he tells them this is going on. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and John shared it last week, that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All of this, all of it, it wasn't a mistake. All of it was part of Jesus declaring who he is. This encounter is just the final turning point. There's lots of them along the way, but this encounter is the final turning point for what Jesus had come to do. He had come to save and strengthen his people. For that to happen, he had to die, but that's what he came for. Things don't look good for Jesus in this situation things were seemed to be headed in the wrong direction but but they weren't not for Jesus not for his people who trust in him things were right where they needed to be if you were here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus i want to ask you I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to say, Jesus, if you're real, will you show me that in my life? Here's the thing. I think if you genuinely seek that and you ask that question, I think you will. And so as a pastor standing here before you, I'm like, ask him, because so I think if, you're seeking, if you genuinely want to know the answer to that question, he's going to show you. And if, he doesn't, if, if you don't think he will, what do you have to lose? Ask him. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, look back on the screen again. Jesus came to save you if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that already, right? But he also came to strengthen you day by day. And we need his strength day by day. Anybody else feel that? I need his strength every day to be a pastor, to be a father, to be a husband to care for y'all, to talk to the world around us about who Jesus is, to demonstrate those things, to just know some days that with all the shame and guilt, I feel that I am, don't have condemnation anymore. I am a son. I am a child of God. But I want to close with one other thing, and that is for those of us that are a bit older in the faith, I don't, I'm not even talking about your age, older in the faith, right? Okay. Okay. Have you ever said or thought, I am so sad that my children and grandchildren are having to grow up in this world, or I'm so sad that my children and grandchildren will not have the same America that we had as kids, or I'm so sad that my children and grandchildren are having to deal with all the things in the world that they have to deal with? Kids, teenagers, look around for a minute. Right, look, look around the room. You look around and you you might wonder, am I going to have the same opportunities that my parents had? Things seem pretty crazy right now. And I want to be clear that we should grieve the chaos of our time. We should. We should grieve the brokenness that we see. We should mourn those things. We should seek to be a part of seeing brokenness restored. Of seeing those who don't know Jesus come to know the hope of being his. Of being part of of caring for those. We we should be a part of caring for those who are hurting and suffering. We should be a part of caring for the widows and orphans. Those are all things the Bible tells us to do. And, And this passage teaches us today that hope is not lost. Do we believe that this morning? Hope is not lost. Even when things seem to be, aren't looking good, they seem to be headed in the wrong direction. Y'all, things have seemed that way since Jesus was betrayed and arrested. <laughs> things seem to be headed in the wrong direction. But things are right where they need to be because the Bible tells us that God is sovereign over all things, that he will not forsake his people, that his kingdom will come, that he is reserving a people for himself in every generation until he returns. Y'all understand that question or that, that comment of, oh, I'm so sad things aren't as good for, uh, or aren't gonna be as good for my people or that my, my kids are having to grow up in this world. Y'all realize people have been saying that way before any of us existed. We were singing a song a little bit ago, Hosanna. And there's a line in that song that the Lord just um, overwhelmed me with a couple years ago. And it says, I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. I want to invite you to look around this room for a minute. Actually, I want you to stop and look around. Okay. In this room, you have children, you have teenagers. In this room, um, you have young adults all the way up to our oldest members of the congregation. But I want you to pay—what the, 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 I'm about to tell you applies to all of us, but for this moment, I want you to pay special, special attention to the children and students. Instead of hopelessness, instead of despair for what you see around us, I want to challenge you this week to do something different. I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to commit to pray. Pray for one another, yes, but pray specifically for these children. Pray specifically for these students and, and um, teenagers. And let me, let me say this I'm going to show you what to pray in a second, but, but let, me, let me make sure you hear this first. Please don't spend a lot of time praying for them to have an easy and carefree life. Two reasons one, that doesn't exist. Y'all know that, right? The adults in here do. Easy and carefree life doesn't exist, right? And it's not the goal of the Christian life. Please pray instead something like this. That God would plant seeds of faith in those children that do not know him. That God would strengthen and encourage their faith rooted in his word, made alive by his spirit, that they might live in obedience to him, that they might trust that he will never leave or forsake them, no matter what they face in this life. And then please pray that God would raise up a generation to take our place, that their faith would be stronger than our generations. And when I say generations there, that's because I'm not in the same generation as some people in this room. But that these children, that their faith would be stronger than our generations. The world says Christianity's dying. It isn't. Pray that their faith would be stronger. Stronger as they cling to the Lord Jesus, knowing He is holding and He is the one leading them. Things don't look good at times. But for Jesus and his people, they are right where they need to be. I want to invite you for a couple minutes um, to pray this prayer. Children, I want you to stay in here for a minute, okay? I'll let you go out in just a few minutes. Um, I'll, I'll make it clear. Um, but, but I want you to pray. Parents, if you want to just lean over and pray out loud with your children or if others around you want to do that, um, you're welcome to pray out loud or just pray silently. And after a couple minutes, I'm going to come back up and I'll close us in prayer. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.